Hi there, this is Natasha Campbell from WealthStylist.com and the creator of the Gorgeous Money Tribe, where we focus on wealth plus well-being. Welcome back to another episode of the Wealth Stylist Podcast, an intimate space to support women just like you who desire to live happier, financially healthier, and more fulfilled in life. If you're ready to design a life that you love, then you're in the right place. Welcome to episode 30 on the Wealth Stylist Podcast. Today's guest is Carol Howe. Carol Howe is an internationally recognized master teacher of A Course in Miracles and an acclaimed author with over 40 years experience teaching, speaking, counseling, and consulting in the field of spirituality, alternative psychology, and consciousness. Today's episode is focused on wealth reimagined, spiritual insights into prosperity and abundance. I am super excited to have Carol Howe on the Wealth Stylist podcast. Today, we will be discussing wealth reimagined, spiritual insights into prosperity and abundance. And the way that I've actually connected with Carol is through her YouTube channel. She has uh, such a wealth of information about the Course in Miracles, and I often listen to it in the morning. And after being kind of mentored by you virtually, <laughs> I felt that it was uh, it would be such an opportunity to not only have me personally mentored by you um, mm -hmm. and, you know, receive all your wisdom and wealth, but also share you with my audience and my community. I think that this is an, a fantastic topic for us to talk about. Um, and we shared a little bit on the before recording how, you know, true wealth is an inside job. So we're going to go ahead and deep dive into that. But before we do, Carol, could you share with us who you are and what you do? Alrighty, my name is Carol Howe, and I am at this point, since one must have titles, I'm a, a therapist and a writer and a speaker and, a, and, and have created uh, videos, actually filmed, not just videos, but three camera shoot films to be used for online programs. So you might say my passion in life is in every way possible putting the message out that there is a much better, happier way to live. And we have not been really taught what that is. So as long as I'm able to speak, then that's what I'm going to do. It's like, it's not rocket science. It's just unknown to most of us. Mm. Now you talk a lot about the Course in Miracles. So for someone who's just listening and they're, they're asking, what is a Course in Miracle? Could you explain what the purpose of a Course in Miracle is? I most certainly could. The title is a bit misleading because it sounds a little bit like doing magic tricks or something <laughs> like that. It's actually um, in wisdom, eternal wisdom that's been passed down for at least the past 5,000 years, starting in the eastern part of the world. And it's restated, you might say, for the modern mind. It's written using Christian language, which is either upsetting to you or it's comforting to you depending on your point of view but it is not in any stretch of the imagination a religious work it's mm -hmm. a spiritual work and but it's fundamentally universal spiritual principles that have been promoted in many ways and the what i like to think of it as since we are in 
modern times where everybody is much more technologically savvy than they were some centuries ago, even some decades ago, I refer to it as a spiritual technology for rewiring our brains. Mm. Because that's in fact what it is. And the reason why that rewiring is necessary is that so many of the fundamental ideas that run our lives now as adults were programmed in in infancy. In some cases, our biologists will tell us we inherit through our ancestral lines uh, guilt, fear, unfinished business. And then that is unwittingly, of course, by parents don't do this on purpose, but unwittingly limiting ideas are built in. So the problem with most of us is we're trying to run adult lives and make wise decisions with a two-year-old brain in charge. Mm. And that doesn't work out well. So the, the A Course in Miracles very briefly has a text which kind of gives the very large overview of what's involved. But the really important part is the workbook because the workbook has got 365 lessons and their purpose is to cause you and invite you to focus your attention in a way that supplants and replaces the ideas that we're carrying around from our earliest days that are totally false and are undermining our prosperity, they're undermining our happiness, they're undermining our ability to have a quality relationship. So you go, well, yeah, I guess I do need myself to be reprogrammed after all. So that's what it's for. So it's really removing the blocks, you know, yeah. to our awareness of what yeah. love is. Because I've heard a lot, well, I've been exposed to The Course in Miracle, I would say for maybe about a year. I know we spoke previously before and I feel like a baby in The Course in Miracle, but I, I love the lessons. I always find myself going back to some, some lessons more than once because it's so um, edifying and it's such a, it's like a shift in my thinking. Yeah, that is the entire purpose, a shift in our thinking. And like anything else, it requires practice. And mm -hmm. so this is material not to be learned so much as practiced. In other words, by practicing it, the learning and understanding comes along afterwards. We think, oh, like a chemistry class, I better learn everything ahead of time. It's like, no, you practice and then the learning is secondary. It would be like... Um, if, if you had, I just did some kind of a podcast about this, so it's on my mind. <laughs> if you knew somebody and they said, listen, I've read lots of books about how to fly an airplane, and boy, I know how to take the engine apart, and I, I know how to put gas in, it's like, would you like to fly with me? Well, now I've never really actually flown a plane, but I sure do know how it works, and <laughs> you'd go, absolutely not. Yep. <laughs> We want the we need the practice so that just as pilots touch and go, they practice over and over again, but so that that kind of muscle memory is built in about how to fly a plane. And we need that same kind of over and over and over practice for rewiring our attitudes. Same idea. Yes. You can't just go, okay, I've read one book about this, or even I've just read through A Course in Miracles. Okay, I'm good to go. Well, notice that the quality of your life is probably not very different. 
That's a powerful statement. And I find myself reading um, a lot of, at the beginning, it says the course can be summed very simply. Saying this constantly to myself um, throughout the day that nothing real can be threatened. Nothing unreal exists. Herein lies the peace of God. Could you explain, uh, you know, the meaning behind that statement? Right. And that would be, that would take, I don't know, maybe five years, but (laughs) (laughs) and that is the basic idea is this, nothing real can be threatened. The part of us that's real is the invisible part. It's the spirit part. It's the, it's the conscious awareness part. And to make it clear to you that nothing has ever changed about it, you see, our outer lives have changed. We've changed what we look like, what we say, what we think, what we wear, where we live, what we do, what we eat, and everything else. But notice that yesterday when you woke up, there was no doubt in your mind about who you are or five years ago. And would it not be true to say that today and yesterday and five years ago, and when you were six years old, that sense of I am myself has always remained steady. Is that a true statement? Yes, yes. If it's a true statement, then clearly nothing has happened to it. And it would be like if we can recognize that Life and love and presence and awareness and light, all those words point to the same thing, which is the truth of us. Nothing can happen to it. For instance, I also recorded something about this recently, so this is also on my mind. So I suggested, if you have any doubt about that, go out into your backyard. I'm looking at my yard, which is gorgeous outside. I live in Florida and there's flowers everywhere. So take, take your little sword or you can take your poison or you can take your whatever you want to take and see if you can chop that light up into pieces and destroy it. And if you figure out how to do that, then you just call me and we'll have It's like you can't destroy the light. So the reality of us, which is love, light, non-physical things, um, can't be destroyed. So when it says nothing real can be threatened, that's the reality it's talking about. And when it says nothing unreal exists, then you go, well, this is really crazy because my body exists in my house and my plants and my everything else. And then, of course, the non-duality people would say, think again. Those things are, the mind is projecting, you might say, the sum total of attitude, and it's more like a hologram. It's a reflection. It does not have substance and reality of its own. Now, can anybody wrap your head around that the first time you hit it? You say, listen, if I hit my head against this wall, it sure does feel like it's real. So there's no point in doing any sort of more explanation at this point, because it would take a long time, than to say the outer life, the things that we perceive with our eyes and ears, and of course the quantum physics people are telling this all, all the time. There's a, a great article I read that says, Can you, will you ever face reality? And so the neurophysicists say, No, because reality is not tangible. (laughs) You can't face reality. So that the world that we see is a projected world 
that reflects our inner state of mind, which is why if you want your outer world to be attractive and prosperous and, and satisfactory and all those kinds of things, take a look at what's on the inside. There is no other way to change your outer life in all of its circumstances than to notice what are the thoughts and the beliefs and the notions and the programs that are driving this bus. Wow. And that brings me to, I know T. Harv actually has a book um, focused on the mindset. And one of the quotes that I'll never forget that he uh, shares in the book in the very beginning is, if you want to change the roots, you will, you, uh, you will have to change you know, the fruits. Yeah. If you want to change the invisible, you must change the invisible. Absolutely. Because you might think that actually one of the models, I've made a lot of these huge models that represent these basic ideas that are in our great big See How Life Works program. And one of them I have, in fact, the last one is just exactly like that. I've got eight big kind of make-believe wild looking plants that are kind of, this is what you see, this is what your life looks like. And I've got the roots. This is like a big model. I don't know, it's like 10 or 15 feet long. You know, I mean, it's big that goes in the front of the room. And the roots are down in the soil. And, what, and the words that I have written all down there in the soil is, you know, I'm no good, nobody loves me, blah, 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 all that early programming stuff. And it's like the, the events in your life, the circumstances in your life that you see out here in the three-dimensional way, I'm waving my hands around like I'm talking to a class. <laughs> it's like the roots are down in this really big, disgusting mess. In other words, so yes, the soil has been poisoned, if you will, with self-doubt, self-hatred, all the things that get in the way, and that, that below the root line, so to speak, or, or below the soil line, is coming up into the plants, is coming up into and informing the quality of the outer experiences of our lives and the circumstances in every respect. Yes, things about plants and roots, I very much identify with. It's very accurate. Yes, and I got so excited. I think I swapped the wording a little bit. <laughs> if you I want know, to change, yes, <laughs> if you want to change the fruits, you will have to first change the roots, which is what we just talked about. Yeah. Um, and so that brings me to the next point. You know, oftentimes when our way isn't working anymore, when we're trying to do all of the outward, you know, physical things, that we start to open our mind to consider something new and start yeah. to look at the inner working of, you know, wealth, how true wealth is an inside job. So yeah. how can we begin to activate wealth and abundance in all areas of our life? Well, you can't even consider doing that by simply manipulating the world of form because mm -hmm. it won't manipulate properly. <laughs> in other words, the only way, as your example before, that this works is to go, what is my, what are my core beliefs about my value my right to be here? Do, do, do I get to ask for what I want? A lot of these things that are invisible, and a lot of times we don't even pay much attention to what those ideas are, but I can guarantee you that they are limiting. Mm -hmm. I mean, 
I've done so much counseling, private counseling with individuals, and it takes about two seconds, you know, of asking the right questions to, to see that people don't value themselves. They don't believe they have a right really to ask for what they want. They just hope somebody's going to notice it and offer it. So by, because of the way the brain is programmed over the first six years of life, there's not a soul who gets to be six or seven years old, right? As we enter school in our country anyway, in the Western world, the, without having a built-in belief that's, that's not recognized in this early, early way, that, um, that somehow we're not deserving or somehow we're not worthy or that we bother people or we, we can't ask for what we want. In other words, we don't measure up. Other people can do things, but I can't and so on. And it is astounding with the number of human beings on the planet, how few of these big basic ideas are actually at play because they're the same ones in everyone. Now, this, this uh, creates guilt in us and all of this big mess is pretty much shoved into the unconscious mind so that just like you cannot see the roots of the plant because they're underground, so much of what's driving the bus in our lives is unconscious to us and we don't know that it's actively impacting our decisions and basically what shows up in our lives. So things like A Course in Miracles are designed to drive up some of what's in your unconscious mind uh, so that you know what it is because if you don't know what it is, you can't change it. Mm-hmm. And if you don't change it, the outer circumstances aren't going to change by some kind of magical thinking. Very true. And we've touched on it a little bit um, before recording about affirmations. Um, And you have your own take on that. Could you share with us, you know, what is your thought of affirmations? I, I would. So let's say that somewhere it was built in through your programming. And this programming starts, listen to this, at conception. Like how much control are you going to have over things that you that start to get wired into your brain at, at, right at the very beginning? So we're we're just operating under this terrible handicap, and it would be like saying affirmations that say. I'm deserving and wealthy, and I'm deserving and wealthy. This is an intellectual saying words over and over and over again, kind of in a hypnotic way. They aren't going to touch this deeply built-in, I'm not deserving, or other people can do this, but I can't kind of programming when when it's so buried in there, you don't even know it's there. Or if you do occasionally touch on, I don't really think I deserve this, or I don't think I really have the right to ask for this, you don't believe that your thoughts really matter. One of the things we've been taught is what you do is what counts, what you say is what counts, but all of this underneath the radar stuff, gee whiz, nobody knows what you're thinking, nobody knows what's going on. So, you know, you don't have to be thoughtful or careful or mindful of that because nobody knows, which is ridiculous. It would be rather like um, (laughs) walking around with 
I don't know, like a television set on the top of your head that's constantly broadcasting to the world, this is what I really think of myself. Because hmm. that's really what it's like. So mm -hmm. affirmations aren't going to touch this. What I've got to do is the hard part, which is what do I really think about myself? And the way you will find out what you think about yourself is to notice the quality of your relationships. Relationships are going to be the great revealer of what you actually believe in your guts, not what you maybe pay lip service to. Because if you notice that if you're having a difficulty with somebody and you'll say, these, these people don't listen to me, or my, my husband won't include me or something. In other words, pretty soon you will hear in people's commentary about their relationships, about how they don't feel listened to, or they don't feel like they're valuable, or this person's really dismissing me, or how come they can be late, but I can't. In other words, you'll, you will hear people revealing what's really driving the bus. And, and without looking at those things, is it fun? No. Is it essential? Yes. In fact, when a lot of people say, I'm going to study A Course in Miracles, or, you know what, I realize I need to do some work on myself, and I'm going to just become the very best person I can be. And people will call and go, well, what happened here? My life just got worse rather than better. <laughs> really, that your life got worse. But here's what happens. Just as you mentioned earlier, when people say, I really want to live a high-powered life. I really want to live the most loving and giving and connected life possible. Or anything like that, where you indicate, I think something needs to be broader and bigger and stronger and, and more marvelous in my life, you can count on the fact that somewhere, somehow, things might start to get worse rather than better, in which case you say, well, and why am I doing this? What's the big idea? It's because now you're going to start to look at that poison stuff that's infecting the roots of the plant. And until you do, and until you change your mind, nothing can get different. So it's not fun to have to look at how we have undermined ourselves, not because we're evil or bad, but because the undermining ideas are built in in one way or the other because of the way the human brain develops, so to speak, if we're going to just keep it simple and kind of elementary. So this is a this is a course of action that anybody who wants to have a wonderful life has to take. Nobody gets to skip over this self-discovery part. See, affirmations don't touch this. This just goes, I'm a good person, I'm a good person, I'm a good person, and all that stuff that's sitting down there in your unconscious mind isn't being touched at all. 
Wow. And many times I connect with uh, gifted and talented women who, you know, as you were saying, um, say I'm not enough. They hide, they shrink, they doubt themselves, especially around earning and receiving money. Um, What are some ways that we can reprogram our money fears? Well, you see, money fears are just one manifestation of worth fear. Mm -hmm. Do I have a right to even exist? If I feel like I am so undesirable that I have to hide from other people and not let them know about me and not kind of put myself out there, it's like, what does that tell us about what we believe about our own worth? Not a lot if I have to hide what I am or minimize what I am and kind of live inside a little fortress and don't anybody be getting into my fortress to see I'm no good. How on earth can there possibly be that kind of sense of prosperity in your life? So you, you might say outer wealth is, has, and wealth doesn't just mean money. It means wealth in many areas of life, but impossible if you're in your own heart of hearts, think you're not worth much. Or you think there's something so the matter with you that you have to hide from other people and kind of shrink down and become small. You can actually see that in body language. You can see people kind of holding, holding the body in a way that kind of says, I don't want anybody to come close to me and I don't want anybody to see me. And once you know what to look for, you can see that in the way people carry the bodies. Bodies are a huge diagnostic device to help Mm. us see what's going on with us. Wow, I like that. And one of the things that you said that really stood out was that the fact that um, money fears is a result of worth fears. Yeah. That was very powerful. And so what is one tool, one strategy that we can begin to employ to shift that? Well, one of the things, and this, of course, the A answer is to go, I am going to have to notice in my relationships, whatever it is I complain about in other people, I have to recognize this is what I feel guilty about in myself. So that's a kind of of a big one. But one of the things that you notice is that when we feel that we don't have enough, You know, like, well, I've got a little bit, but now I want a whole lot more. (laughs) In other words, I want this kind of broad, prosperous life. The less prosperous we feel, the more we kind of hang on to what we've got. In other words, the more we, I wouldn't call it hoarding because that has a different connotation to it, but the more we um, keep things to ourselves. Now, that is a big problem. Because, and, I, and you see, that doesn't say if you only have a little bit of money, give it all away. So we're, I'm not talking about only money. Money is only one part of a wealthy life, so to speak. But there is an absolute law of living that, that we abide by whether we like it or not. And that is when we hold back, when we do not give, that's give of our time, give of our love, give of our attention, give of our goodwill. When we're not giving, we aren't receiving. So when we're feeling kind of not enough, it's almost like we tend to 
try to live in a little fortress and, and hold back. And that is absolutely counterproductive because if I'm saying, you know what, I don't really have enough, I just don't have enough to give away, um, we'll just call it the universe is listening very closely to what you say. It's even, and this sounds completely bizarre, but listen to our scientists, it's like you've got 50 or 60 trillion cells in the body and they're all intelligent and they're all listening to what you say and think, not just what you say out loud, but what you think. So when you're constantly thinking, I don't have enough, so I need to go get some more money or I need to, a job or I need something, it hears the I don't have enough part, not the what you plan to do about it. And it's as if that statement of I don't have enough is sent out as a directive to the universe. This is what I want to have happen, that I don't have enough. And the universe would see, we kind of have to make this like a little cartoon thing. And the universe doesn't say, you know how a dialogue box comes up on your computer if you're about to delete a file or something that says, you know, do you really want to do this? Mm -hmm. It doesn't really, nothing says, hey, listen, do you really want to pray for not enough? It always just says your wish is my command. Whatever you pay attention to, you get. So even at a cellular level, the cells of the body are honoring what we think and believe and pay attention to. So the idea, a simple way to get started is, how can I give more? How can I be more out there? How can I listen? How can I demonstrate that when I pay very close attention to you and what you have to say and what you have to offer? And, in, and if, see, giving can come in many ways. It's like giving your undivided attention to somebody is an enormous gift. And through that giving, through that because you automatically, at the time you're giving, and I'm not talking about bargaining, that's giving to get, that says, okay, I'm going to give somebody this five bucks and I expect to get 15 in return. In other words, that hasn't anything to do with giving. Giving has no strings attached. Giving has, I'm just giving an attention and listening and undivided being with somebody is one of the most amazing and loving gifts that we can ever give to anybody. Mm -hmm. And when we do that, things can start to happen within us because we will always experience what we're offering to someone else. Kind of like the universe doesn't know about pronouns. Like it doesn't know if I'm giving to you or to myself. It just knows I'm focused on being truly helpful, being loving, listening, paying attention. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. And I'm sitting here nodding my head. And I'm also <laughs> taking notes as well. I'll definitely um, be listening to this episode again. And very rare am I uh, lost for words, but the way that you organize the information so simply and easily to follow it, it gives you a clear understanding of, you know, the message. Yes. And here's what I would like to emphasize over and over and over again. 
one of my favorite props that I sometimes take around with me to workshops or something like that is a mirror. Because when you stand in front of a mirror, and let's say you've got on your blue shirt, and so naturally what's got the mirror, what is in the mirror is your blue shirt, and you have a little chat with this mirror and you say, listen, I don't like this blue shirt, and so I want you to take it off and put on a red dress instead. <laughs> okay, there you go. Where's my red dress? Well, mirrors do not have the ability to make the first move. And you can pray, and you can demand, and you can whine, and you can threaten, and you can do anything you want to do as long as you've got on your blue shirt that's what's in the mirror. And the other thing that's interesting is that if you start to, <laughs> this is so crazy, but it's the way we act and operate. It's like nobody sneaks up in front of a mirror kind of cautiously, like maybe I can fool this mirror <laughs> or, or maybe I have to forewarn this mirror. Like, listen, mirror, and I, what I want, I'm, a, I'm about to stand in front of you with a green dress. And so I need to forewarn you so you can do whatever you need to do to reflect a green dress. Mirrors don't need any forewarning. You stand in front of it with your green dress and there it is, instantly a green dress. Our world of time and space is an accurate reflection of our state of mind and there is nothing you can do to make that be different. So to hang on to a state of mind that's small and where, where there is that deep, although possibly invisible sense of being undeserving, there is no way that your outer world is going to reflect anything but what this inner world is. So you can threaten your world and you can, you can try to change it. And in fact, in one of my videos, again, I have a mirror in the front of the room and we're talking about healing and trying. And of course, this, is, this talk is about healing as well. It might be healing your bank account instead of your body, but nevertheless, I had a girl come to the front of the room and I said, I'm going to draw a wound on your arm. So I had a, a magic marker. She had on a sleeveless dress. I said, okay, hold your wound up in front of this mirror. So then I put a Band-Aid on the reflection in the mirror. Oh. <laughs> and then she moves a little bit and it's like, darn, there it is. I thought we've got that handled. You know, so it's a kind of a cartoon way of demonstrating so that you can actually see you can't fix the image. <laughs> you can only fix its origin. And we have to hear that maybe, I don't know, about a thousand times before we go, oh, really, this isn't going to work if I try to badger the people or the situations or, and I try to negotiate and manipulate. It's like, no, the world will resolutely reflect to you what you believe about yourself, your worth, your offering, and basically the collection of all of that early programming. That's why I say we're trying to run successful, prosperous adult lives being run by the programming of a two-year-old brain. Because after all, 
Nobody gets to be the age of about 23. That's when the frontal lobe of the brain finally comes fully online and you've got a fully developed brain. It's the last part of the body to, to be developed. And nobody go, stands up and let's say your 23rd birthday and goes, you know what? I wonder if every single thing I believe is false. Mm. <laughs> it never occurs to anybody that what we believe, the culture we're raised in, the religion we're raised in, if any, and so on, we take it for granted because it's been with us before the age of being able to cognize. So it's built in, it's built in, in mostly an invisible way, it's built into the body structure, it's built in everywhere. And so our outer life is gonna to continue to reflect all of that early development until we go, I'm going to have to get to the bottom of what's going on here. And, and, and I'm going to have to look at what I actually believe about myself. I remember difficult things that I've been through in my life in a one particular relationship where I felt like I was, we'll just call it, mistreated, not physically mistreated, but kind of brushed aside or whatever. And the details don't matter, but what did matter is, ah, as painful as this has been, this was a long time ago, I realized I had to have my back pushed up against the wall, not literally, but in a realization to realize how little I had thought about myself, how much I had assumed I would kind of always have to settle for second best, that kind of thing. And it could be so under the radar that those ideas are running your life and you don't know they're there until some of these really challenging situations occur and you go, I don't want any challenging situations. It's like, well, the best thing we can do is not to be afraid, to know that every single, shall we say, difficult situation, what we call difficult, is an attempt by a loving universe, a loving presence that's kind of holding us and caring for us and lifting us up while we are what feels like to us forced to look at what we really believe about ourselves and how we are undermining our life, our, our whole life. Does that make sense? Yes, you said it so beautifully. I think I'm tearing up here. Yeah. <laughs> you and said we, it. we all have had these. There's not a soul on the planet who escapes having some painful experiences. So it's like, like, don't worry. Everybody, one way or the other, has got to have, um, it's painful to the ego mind to have to be shown what we really believe about ourselves and our worth and what we deserve and, and what we think of all of these inner ideas. And so much of it we're not aware of. It, um, it, um, this would be like driving down a highway with a sack over your head. You're not going to do well trying to drive a car fast on a highway and you can't see where you're going. Mm. And that's kind of the situation that we're in. 
but you see everybody's in the same situation. So it's not like, well, some people have a pass and some people have to really, um, you know, have some difficult wake up calls. Everybody has some difficult wake up calls and they will come through the big three, health, relationships, or finances. A career is sometimes a fourth one, but, and what all of those are going to reduce to is relationships because the relationships that drive us crazy or that seem to be so painful, the other, this, this is so critically important. The people who drive us crazy or that seem to attack us or dismiss us or not listen to us or, or betray us or whatever are coming into our lives, as I'm fond of saying, the SOBs were sent to save us. <laughs> because <laughs> what they are doing is triggering within our unconscious the things that we are blaming ourselves for, feeling guilty about, because you see, you cannot believe that you're kind of a worthless little human being and not feel guilty about that. And guilt is always a prayer for punishment, and you'll always get it. So these things that we believe and that we feel bad about and feel like we've diminished ourselves about must be brought to our attention for correction, for trading in, for upgrading. And it's the people in our lives. Like if somebody comes along and you go, I I can't stand that person because they do not pay any attention to me and they don't listen. And so what I will tell every single person I ever talk to is from your perspective, other people will appear to treat you the way you are treating yourselves. They are messengers bringing you life-saving information. Because if they say, if, if your experience with them is they're not listening to me, guess who's not listening to you and honoring you? Well, that would be you. Mm. In other words, they're revealing to you that, that you see, because like I, I grew up in a household that was, we will just call it a repressive household. It was one of those from long ago where parents really didn't know anything at all about child rearing. They didn't know about how to help children regulate their emotions. They just thought you shouldn't have any. And my father was one of the, um, basically children should be seen and not heard. And although we were very well taken care of in terms of all of our physical needs, I had a very nice outer successful growing up years, but it's like, there was not the slightest bit of emotional involvement because nobody thought kids needed to be emotionally involved with. Well, what that leaves you with, so that the, I'm just going to use myself as an example. So it was like I always grew up thinking, I think I must just bother people. In other words, because my mother would say when our dad would come home, it's like, okay, you kids don't make so much noise. Don't bother your dad. So it was kind of like, well, when a three-year-old hears that, it's not heard in the context in which an adult is saying it. And so what gets wired in is, I am a bother. Mm -hmm. Or 
I, I like don't let anybody be upset around you. Like somehow it's now my responsibility as a three-year-old to make sure everyone else feels okay. In other words, and we load up little kids. All of us both do it and have done it. I mean, have done it ourselves and have been done too, so to speak. That's not really the right kind of verb. We're, we're participants in this, but to try to keep the language simple. So I grew up feeling like, you know, my job was not to bother anybody and never knowing or not offend anybody and don't hurt anybody's feelings and so on. Well, that doesn't allow you to say no, tell the truth. I don't want to go to that little girl's house. In other words, you begin to believe I don't have a right to be me. I don't have a right to, to ask for what I want. I must not. And you see, it's not cognitively built in. It's all of those early impressions are, are tried to make sense of by a very young person. And it's how we all misconnect the dots and end up with these beliefs about ourselves that are limiting. And then we go, what do I, how come I don't have enough? It's like, how come I, how come I can't have more money? How come I can't have more of something? It's because from way back from a long time ago, you think you don't deserve it or it's not available or you can't have it. It might not be personal to you. It might just be, there's just not enough for anybody. Ah, that makes sense. Yes, it's so, it's, it definitely does. Um, you've touched on so many different topics and one of them being the, um, the, I guess the box definition, I, f I just feel that society has this uh, box definition of what wealth is. Um, and you shared, you know, wealth is so much more than just the money. Many times, you know, people see the end result of people, you know, winning materialistically, which is, it might be the money or what they desire, but sometimes they have no idea that they're winning spiritually first before that, you know, physical manifestation happens. And so one of the things that I have uh, made it my mission to do um, I wanted to shift the conversation from just wealth, especially being in the personal finance industry. Mm -hmm. I just feel that a lot of the conversation is on lack and scarcity versus the abundance and prosperity piece. Of exactly. And it's not just abundance and prosperity of wealth. It's the abundance and prosperity of, I am free to be me. Mm -hmm. I am safe doing whatever it is I want to do, and I'm not going to be having outside forces be some sort of a limiting factor. In other words, the, I feel like some of the, from my own personal experience, the, the wealth that kind of matters to me has to do with the wealth that I feel like I can go anywhere on the planet and by following my guidance and my intention to be helpful, I can do anything I want go anything, any place I want, break any rules I choose to break. <laughs> I went to Russia back during the time it was the Soviet Union as part of a citizen diplomacy group. And we, we stopped in Finland to kind of get used to the time chain. There were 85 people from all over the United States who were invited to be on this mission. And while we were there and they were telling us all about what we could or couldn't do once we were inside the Soviet Union, and one of them said, you, 
of all the things you can't do, kind of like be under the radar screen. It was like, you can't talk to anybody in uniform. And I thought, that's the dumbest thing I ever heard. I'm going to talk to anybody in uniform I choose to. So I did. You know, we were in Moscow and the, the Kremlin had gates across it and so on. And those cute young Russian soldiers. And I just went right up to them and they're all their uniform, <laughs> practiced my Russian on them. Everything I did was fabulous. They were wonderful. They smiled. They were kind. They helped me out. <laughs> it's like, so I consider for my own personal life, I love it that I have plenty of latitude to follow my guidance. If that's to talk to somebody, we, we sneaked into a, um, a Bulgarian hotel or something. We were with some rather Russian kids that we met in the Hermitage someplace. And they were very worried because Americans weren't allowed to go in there. And so they sneaked us in. And like we said, how are they going to even know if we don't say anything? They said they can tell by your shoes that you're American. Oh. Like, well, that's okay. We will just deal with whatever happens if it happens. And it didn't. But what I love most of all is having a wealth of freedom mm. to follow my inclinations. And I have plenty of all of the thing of all the earthly things. I have plenty of it never occurs to me that I will not have plenty in the way of money or opportunity or anything else to give my gifts because this is what I'm interested in. I'm interested in reaching as many people as possible with life-saving information. And it never occurs to me that I will not have whatever I need to do that. Mm. I'm not doing it because I want wealth. I'm doing it because I want everybody to have the opportunity to know that it's not outside forces that are related to the quality of your life. It's only you. And taking the courage to go, I have to look without blaming anybody. This is not a bash the parents thing at all. I'm a parent myself. <laughs> and so I don't, I'm, I'm not up for parent bashing, but to, to realize that life can be richest, not only in having all of your outer needs met, and you won't even have to figure out how to do it. When your goal is, I want to be here, I want to follow my guidance, I want to be helpful, I want to break through my own barriers, and, to, and where you feel like your own energy is expanding out more and more and more, on behalf of all of the people who are looking for help, who are looking for answers. It's like the last thing I ever wonder about or worry about is, will I have enough? I, I have more than I know what to do with now. Mm -hmm. I mean, I have everything that I need and I never give it a thought. And what would you say to that person who feels as if there's not enough? Um, that that is a lie. In other words, there is no such thing as there is enough, that there is not enough. There will always be. And you see, we act like that there is a finite amount of anything. Well, there isn't a finite amount. There is always, you see, this requires reframing the idea of what the world is. Mm -hmm. It's not 
a thing with limited resources. It's constantly being kind of recreated in the mind all the time, just recreate it differently. Your life can constantly being re- is constantly being reset every moment. You know how our computer screens and TV screens, they look like there's a solid picture. Mm-hmm. But it's not a solid picture. You, the normal refresh rate is 72 times per second. That means 70, there's 72 different pictures per second flashing on that screen. But that's so fast, it doesn't look like it. It just looks like a solid picture. Your life is constantly being refreshed every nanosecond. So you can move from one second to the other. And if you go, oh my gosh, I really have been treating myself badly. I mean, I realize that I have just really been holding myself back from doing some nice thing. In other words, when you can realize, I believe this, I've been holding myself back, I'm going to step out. It may be scary. Anytime you step outside that comfort zone, there's a, there's a sense of a little nervousness about it, but that's how you keep expanding the perimeter of your comfort zone. So that pretty soon you're comfortable anywhere in the world doing anything you want, whatever. I don't mean anything you want in an uncaring way. I mean, following your guidance, which is always going to be loving and helpful to yourself and everybody else. But however much you have been in your way up to this point, your past has been erased. You cannot experience a past. You can think about it which may or may not be helpful, but you cannot experience it. And you can start experiencing a different life starting now. And it's going to start not by saying mindless affirmations, but by going, all right, I need to do a very meaningful inventory of what I really believe about myself. And you can think about, okay, what is something that I'm a little nervous doing? What is it that I don't want to say? Who is it that I don't want to be around? And ask yourself, why not? And then you can begin to find, well, I might not fit here, or somebody might not understand me here. Maybe I don't have a right to ask that question here. In other words, you'll begin to discover what those built-in false limitations are so you can change them so you can keep pushing against the boundaries of your comfort zone saying no if you've been taught you can never say no and see what happens and every moment you see the exciting part is a brand new clean slate i can bring forward the old unhelpful programming or i can go the buck stops here And it's not something you do overnight. I mean, I've been doing this for decades, so it's very easy for me to do, easy for me to say. It wasn't in the beginning, but I just kept putting one foot in front of the other, like, how, what is it that makes life work? Mm -hmm. I didn't understand. I couldn't get anybody to give me any answers. And so I thought, well, I'm just going to have to find out myself, which is why I do the work I do. It's like, I would have given anything if somebody had just handed all this to me on a platter 50 years ago, (laughs) instead of having to slog through this one kind of experience at a time. So 
that's what our work is about, is like saving everybody time going, what does this mean? What do I do next? It's like, we know what it, how it works, what it means, what happens next, and, and our work is to make that available. Wow. And the common theme that I see um, just listening to you is that it's not our circumstances then, but rather our thoughts about our circumstances yes. that determine our power to yes. transform them. A hundred percent. Wow. The, the, the world is an effect only. It's an effect. That's why the mirror is such an excellent uh, metaphor to use. So, I mean, that's why you just try it. Go stand in front of your bathroom mirror and, and do everything you possibly can to make what's in it be different. And you will have no luck whatsoever. Mm -hmm. <laughs> because our world, the quality of our lives, the, the fact of like, you can change your mind and things will happen because sometimes instantly, sometimes it might appear to take a while. I, I have this story in a video, but since I'm right here in my house, this is a very fast little story. The people next door to me had two hairless cats. I had never seen <laughs> a hairless cat before. And just one day I saw this thing walking across the top of my back fence. And I thought, what is that? It looked like a big rodent or something. <laughs> so these cats started to sit on my new front porch furniture and they were dirty and they were aggressive. You know, usually if a cat comes to the door and you kind of shoo it away, it goes away. Not these, these cats would try to like climb in the door. And, and I was very judgmental about these cats. I thought they're ugly cats and they're dirty cats and I don't want them to be here. I was totally not practicing what I preach. So one day I thought, what is the matter with me? I am not practicing what I preach. These cats are not ugly. This is not a problem and sort of my own inner processing. And this had been going on for a couple of years. Do you know, from the next day on, I never saw the cats again. Wow. They vanished. They continued to live next door, but... For whatever reason, at that very moment, apparently the people who owned them decided that they would keep them indoors because I think hairless cats are valuable. I mm. can't think why, but, <laughs> but you see, that didn't, I had been fussing around with trying to, these cats were making my furniture dirty. I was putting these towels down because I couldn't make them go away. When I tried to object to them, and make them go away, and in my own mind, kind of fighting against the situation, mm -hmm. all it did would get worse. Once I changed my mind, recognized the error of my thinking, and how I was framing all of this, the world, the world is a mirror. It just changed. I changed my mind. That's the kind of stuff that can happen all the time. So much great information that you shared with us. This is definitely an episode worth re-listening to. And Carol, before I let you go, I do have some closing questions I would love to ask you. Okay. And the first one is, what is one quote or mantra you live by? Uh, there's a lesson from the course that says, in my defenselessness, my safety lies. The reason for that is, is if we live a defenseless life, if you're with the friends you know and love or your family, or if you're in a store with a store clerk and you approach them completely open, delighted to see them, 
the nonverbal message you're giving to them is, I'm safe in your presence. You're not guilty. You're a lovely person to be with. Oh, I love that. I've often read that most times your energy show up before you do. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the point is, is that by offering a sense of you're not guilty, you're safe, you're not going to harm me, I don't have to worry about you at all, because we experience what we give to others, the, the, the more defenseless I am, the safer I am. We've grown up thinking you're only safe if you live in a fortress, and you're only safe if you've got all your defenses around you. Totally, totally incorrect. The more you walk around in a defended way, the more you're saying to the people around you, you're guilty. I don't know of what, but I've got to protect myself from you by living inside my little fortress here. Everybody loses. But if you live in a defenseless, open way with the idea that whoever I talk to, and I do this all the time, whether it's with clerks in stores or people I know or whatever, it's become automatic. Now, I don't have to like think about it newly like I might have in the beginning. It's like, I want everybody I deal with to know you are safe. You're lovely. You have a right to be here. I'm safe with you. I'm really glad we're here together. That's such a different way to look at life. And it's fun. You should see the looks on people's faces when I might go into a post office and there's not a lot of people there. It's like, okay, which of you three good looking guys <laughs> is going to wait on me today? You know, and the whole place just turns into a party. <laughs> and, it, and it doesn't matter where, they, it could be nuanced for the circumstances, so to speak, but it's lovely and fun living a defenseless life because you ensure your own safety and you give the greatest gift of all to the people around you, which is you are harmless. You are not guilty. You have not ruined yourself. I'm safe in your presence. All is well. And there is nothing that people want to know, even if this is at an unconscious level, is that they aren't guilty they haven't harmed themselves or anybody else because this is what everybody believes they have done. That's definitely a way to move from fear to love. Absolutely. Um, Carol, could you complete this sentence to me, designing a life I love means? It means not designing my life from an ego perspective. <laughs> it's like my life doesn't get designed by me. I allow my life to live itself and try as much as I can to get out of the way of it. And it will show up and be there for you. I realize we're out of time or I'd give you another yeah. example. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. And Carol, since um, I know that the audience may want to get in touch with you, may want to learn more about your work, could you share with us how they can do those two things? Absolutely. My email address is carol, C-A-R-O-L, at carolhow.com, C-A-R-O-L-H-O-W-E, Com, and that's the name of our website. And there you will find a lot of information. We have several marvelous online programs that will just move you forward light years in this whole process of letting go of what needs to be let go of so that 
a prosperous life in every sense of the word just kind of becomes the automatic what happens. And I also have recorded all 365 lessons with commentary, lots of podcasts. If you join our mailing list, I've been doing weekly little mostly video, sometimes written blogs, you know, seven or eight minutes long with helpful hints and so on. So we have probably more material than you will find kind of related to this general subject matter than, I don't know, maybe anywhere on the planet. (laughs) (laughs) Now you do have a signature course called See How Life Works. Could you explain a little bit about what that course entails? Yes. And it is not simply for Course in Miracles students. Let me be very, very clear about that. Because the reason why it's called See How Life Works is my initial is C period H-O-W-E. So I started using this little slogan a long time ago, See How with See How. (laughs) (laughs) See, there are always reasons for marrying who you marry. I had to have somebody with that last name. (laughs) So in any event, it's eight modules long, 16 hours of professionally produced films. These are not just direct-to-camera video kind of things. The first one talks about A Course in Miracles. In other words, like what it's for, what it's not for, what it does, how it works, how all this programming, much in much more detail, all this programming that comes. But then the next seven, and all of them feature these great big models that have been built over the years, The second one is, how do we develop this ego sense of personal self in the first place? The third one is about relationships and what to do with them and what they're showing us. The fourth one is about forgiveness. The fifth one is about acceptance and what that really means. The sixth one is about healing. The seventh about guidance. And the eighth one about choice. And you don't have to have ever opened A Course in Miracles book for any of these. In other words, these are, this is the generic information and wisdom from the course, but the course itself is hardly ever mentioned because it is eternal wisdom and it's not the private property of any book. So this is good for everybody, not just course people. Oh, and they can find all that information Absolutely. on your website. Absolutely. Up in the menu, we've got a courses section as well as the blog section and all kinds of stuff. Wow. Well, thank you so much, Carol. You have shared um, just a plethora of spiritual insight into wealth, you know, and that's why I felt that the title for this session today is so on point, Wealth Reimagined. Yes, imagined and everybody can have it. There's not a limited amount of it. Everybody is creating their own in ways that we don't understand. So there's, there's not, not just a worry of there's only a little finite pile and we have to divide it up. There's plenty for everyone. It keeps being generated. Remember, the world is a mirror, mirror on the wall. Generate whatever you want. Well, thank you so much. It was an honor, Carol. Well, it was lovely to be with you. You're a wonderful interviewer and we'll do it again one of these days. Yes. <laughs> Hey there, thanks so much for tuning in. If you love this episode, make sure you subscribe so you don't miss a thing and be sure to share it with a friend. I'd love to get to know you and hear all about your passions, dreams, and how this podcast has helped you. So please be sure to leave me a review. For more beyond this podcast, there's many ways that we can still stay connected. You can visit me 
at my website, wealthstylist.com. You can follow me on social media. My handle is at wealthstylist, or you can join the Gorgeous Money Tribe. Head over to Facebook and request to join our global community where we focus on wealth plus well-being.